You're listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum focused and dedicated 100% to sales development. If you care about growing your skills and getting more new sales appointments, pipeline, and closed one deals, you came to the right place. Subscribe to the show on YouTube, iTunes, or Spreaker, and be sure to go back and listen to all the episodes for the best strategies, tips, and tactics out there on running a high-performance sales development program. And now, your host, founder, and CEO of TenBound at TenBound.com, David Delaney. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Sales Development Podcast. I'm your host, David Delaney. Honored to be joined today with my next guest, Ms. Fallon Fatemi, the founder and CEO of Node.io. Fallon, how are you doing today? Good. Thank you for having me. Yes, we made it through and I, I did it your name correctly. So I'm really excited to have you on the show. <laughs> no Thank worries. you so much. Fallon, I've been a, you know, following your work for a while. I'm sure that folks are familiar with what you're doing in, in the, our space and sales development. But if folks are not familiar with you, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to start Node? Sure. Happy to. So uh, previous to Node, I was actually the youngest employee at Google. I started working there when I was 19 and was there for six years. I then spent six years in the startup world as well. So I basically spent over a decade focused on global expansion, building strategic partnerships, go-to-market strategy at Google, YouTube, and the startup world. And then I also write a column in Forbes where I talk about company building in Silicon Valley, AI, and the future of sales and marketing. Wow. Okay. So that's a lot to, <laughs> you know, to go into. How did you you know, get into Google at such a young age. And what was that like? I mean, I feel like I was still a baby when I was 19 years old. I didn't know much. And, and yeah. just to be thrust in such an uh, environment. You know, really, at the end of the day, all of these things happened through meeting the right person at the right time, which is, you know, really the essence uh, behind the technology at Node. And so my story of how I ended up at Google at 19 years old is no different. I was attending university at the time and was actually going to go into investment banking. And I had discovered a um, entrepreneurship uh, uh, series that was being taught at my university and actually, you know, chose to take that course. Through that, I got recruited by my professor, who happened to be a serial entrepreneur herself, to do actually a research project for Microsoft. And through that research project, I'd gotten recommended to someone very senior at Google and then, you know, got an opportunity to actually, you know, go and interview. And so uh, I didn't even know that, uh, Google at the time. It had just IPO'd in June of 2000 or, or um, uh, in, uh, you know, by 2005 when I engaged with Google, but it was still relatively unknown. And so lo and behold, uh, you know, that one, the decision for me to take that course, the the decision for me to then, you know, uh, take the opportunity to actually, you know, do the research project for Microsoft and then actually take that interview at Google led me there. And I worked full time and did school full time for the rest of my college experience and just stayed on for, for a full six years. Nice. Oh, that's amazing. And so you stepped up and put yourself out there and actually, you know, someone was paying attention. So that's, that's awesome. And you, you got to Google. What kind of experience did you have over there? What were you working on? You know, how did that lead you to, to today? 
Sure. I mean, Google is an incredible company. And when I started, it was still, it's not, I think, 3,000 employees globally. It was, you know, by the time I left in 2011, it was 30,000. Now it's 60 or 70. Um, so, you know, probably a very different company now. But at the time, I was focused on global expansion for uh, Google's strategic par uh, partnerships where we would power search and advertising for properties like AOL or, or MySpace. And my job was really to figure out how should Google enter new markets, who should they partner with, what should those deal terms look like. So really figuring out, you know, go-to-market strategy, global expansion, how to increase market share in existing markets, and, and start start building that in new markets. So you know, a lot of crunching the numbers, think like uh, you know, uh, a little bit of internal McKinsey type role to determine what that strategy should be, and then uh, went over to YouTube. After a few years doing that, and that's where I was both, uh, you know, not just coming up with the strategy, but then actually building those partnerships outright. And when I joined YouTube, it was, uh, it'd been acquired for five years, you know, product hadn't really changed. And really YouTube was, was just really starting to take off and got to work on some pretty exciting uh, initiatives and programs, including, you know, helping define what the YouTube platform strategy was going to be, you know, were we going to be more like Netflix, were we going to be, you know, a neutral platform connecting content producers to, to content creators, and then actually investing in that community. So got to build a number of partnerships and work with companies like Comcast and Disney. Oh, man, how amazing. So you got a little bit of the analytical side. And that, but also it was relational in that you, you could go out and you actually had to talk to people. You weren't just stuck in a room somewhere punching the numbers, right? Yeah, I mean, Google is a very data-driven company. And so really understanding sort of the financial DNA of a business and, and what are the core KPIs and how do you basically, you know, determine a strategy based on data, you know, was, was really basically develop a go-to-market strategy was really what I was focused on for the first set of my time at Google and really sort of understand how a really successful business works and scales. And then from there, got to then, you know, not only do that, but then actually execute on those partnerships versus handing them off to other internal, you know, sales, marketing, partnerships, leads, um, and having them execute it. So um, definitely feel like, you know, that experience set me up to really sort of understand how to do that successfully at other companies. And then ultimately, you know, in some ways kind of bring me full circle to, you know, with Node's uh, first first use case around supporting sales and marketing, go to market strategy, but, uh, you know, building a product to actually do that across the board. Yeah. I mean, there's two things. One is the, the entrepreneurial, like boot camp almost that you went through is it seems tremendously valuable in just having that bigger picture sense of the business and the go to market. But then also I want to talk about how you came up with the product of Node and you know how it supports that. So from an entrepreneurial perspective, it must have really you, you had a lot of momentum going into starting your own entrepreneurial venture, it seems like. Yeah, I mean, I would say there's definitely uh, a lot that sort of led me to starting my own company, but I feel like Google was an incredible, you know, learning launching pad really for me to, you know, not only, you know, in some ways grow up at the company, but to really understand what a successful business looks like. Um, and one that was really revolutionizing, you know, the way in which we do business and think about culture required to make a business just, you know, successful. So I feel very fortunate to have had my experience and I, I definitely, you know, there's a lot of that, that DNA at Node as well. Yeah. And, and that, so how did you identify, you know, the problem that you wanted to solve and then take all that great experience and start Node to, to address it? 
Yeah, I mean, the story behind Node, you know, actually has to do with the last, uh, mostly the last six years I was in the startup world where I was making a lot of introductions between people and companies and resources. And I actually decided to do an analysis of all the introductions I had made over the last six years with all the people and companies that I'd worked with. And what I uncovered was that a lot of the outcomes of those introductions had led to life-changing opportunities for both individuals and businesses. So give you a sense of this, I found out my introductions had led to millions of dollars in investment, a number of acquisitions, a number of sales and marketing partnerships, hires, and even a merger. And so, you know, really that, the, that analysis was sort of that aha moment where I realized that there was something that I was doing that was, you know, resulting in all this value for my network. And so that's really where I started digging into you know, what if I could productize this discovery algorithm that I'd uncovered? And what could the implications be if I were to do that? And that's really where I saw um, the opportunity to almost accelerate that serendipity I was creating at a much smaller scale within my network, but at a much greater scale. And so that's where the vision for Node was born. And our vision as a company is to connect people with opportunity at massive scale. And, you know, as I was researching from a technological standpoint, you know, how would we actually start building something like this to to solve a problem at a much greater scale really brought me back to my roots at Google. And that's where I saw some clear aspects of, you know, how Google sort of entered the, the crowded market of search and solved the problem of helping us find the right information when we know what we're looking for and saw a number of aspects of their technological approach that could actually be applied to solve this greater discovery problem. And so you know, just in researching the sheer amount of information being created on the web about people and companies and products and places, you know, with 90% of the information on the web being created in just the last two years, really saw a need for the engagement model with information to change, right? From that, from search when we know what we're looking for to that of proactive and personalized discovery. So think about, you know, the people, the companies, the products, places we don't know we should be searching for. How do we actually uncover those? And so ultimately, you know, that's the problem that Node sets out to solve. And today we're solving that problem for sales and marketers by actually helping them identify, you know, what, it, what are the world of people and companies that an organization should sell or market into? What, what is that total addressable market that today we're guessing at? How do we then prioritize our execution, you know, on those markets uh, in a way that will drive more revenue per unit of time? And then who are the actual underlying people and companies that, you know, a sales rep and A should speak to right now? Why should they speak to them? And what should they say when they pick up the phone and talk to them? It's going to, you know, increase that response rate or conversion rate. Oh, my God. Okay. This is this is like gold for <laughs> your your average sales development team because that, those are the three, you know, huge time-consuming things that everyone's spending all of their time, you know, trying to go out and get manually. And, you know, so yeah. is, how does it work? Give me like an example of, say, I, I was calling on a certain market and I, I wanted to work with you guys to organize it and streamline it for the reps. Yeah. So uh, I'll give an example. So uh, Blue Jeans Network, they're, uh, they're a customer, they're a leading video conferencing solution, and they could literally sell to any B2B company in the world. So for them, you know, they really wanted to better understand from a strategic perspective first, what is their total address market? Where are these people and companies located that they could sell or market into? That was the first question. And so for us, that's a simple query. That's just us understanding, you know, the world of B2B companies and our data layer of over half a billion profiles of, of people and companies. And, and then actually, and that's all based on, right, an underlying understanding of actual people and companies we could then recommend to them. 
So that was the first point. And just providing them with their addressable market and then actually helping them prioritize their execution on that market. So you can imagine, you know, we're both looking at our graphs understanding, you know, without even looking at the historical data of BlueJeans Network of, you know, who uh, we actually already have a profile on BlueJeans. So we understand the type of company they are, the industry they're in. We have an understanding in our data layer of some customers they've publicly spoken about that we've extracted from the web. So we already have an understanding of some of their customers, attributes about those customers, their competitors, customers of their competitors, and so on. So we could actually start making recommendations or prioritizing the addressable market of B2B companies globally for uh, BlueJeans Network without even looking at their historical data. So once we marry that with our historical data, we're able to both look at the people and companies they've been successful at selling to, not been successful at selling to, because those are the ones that they've attempted thus far, um, and be able to make our recommendations of of how to prioritize that go-to-market execution even more effective and even more focused by identifying the core attributes at the people and company level that actually correlate to higher deal sizes, higher win rates, and shorter times to close. So then based on this sort of ranked uh, addressable market, if you will, Blue Jeans Network was then able to allocate their resources and answer strategic you know, planning questions like, how do we do territory planning, right? Where should we actually put our salespeople based on where our potential customers are? And, you know, and then they were able to also develop a set of plays on top of that layer of intelligence where they were actually aligning sales, marketing, and even product around how they can most effectively message their value prop to the different types of customers and segments that Node had identified they should focus on first. So all of that work in terms of the strategy and go to market is very important to do with a single source of truth because then... Once they had completed their overall sort of planning exercises, Node was then able to actually serve those underlying people and companies that all of that analysis was based on to those sales reps directly, where, you know, Johnny sales rep would get a recommendation for the person that they should call and why an example of a reason could be that this person was a former buyer, an existing customer would also get uh, an understanding of why Node is recommending their company. Maybe it has a higher deal size potential because it's using these set of attributes that Node has identified correlate to, you know, X higher deal sizes for BlueJeans Network, and then actually provide a set of uh, insights that are personalized to Johnny sales rep for, you know, what he should say when he picks the phone and talks to that person. Maybe he went to the same university as them or worked in the same previous company, or maybe that, that, company is using a product that BlueJeans Network has an integration with that they're going to want to mention. And that's going to increase that response rate. So, you know, truly an end-to-end solution from strategic to tactical. And and I'm happy to sort of talk through some of the, the value that our customers have seen in our recommendations, if that's helpful. Sure. And I'm just wondering, you know, it's Dreamforce week. Do, do we need Salesforce anymore or can we just use Note? <laughs> So we actually, uh, you know, we're, we're very focused on being the fuel for, you know, systems of record or engines, you know, whether it be Salesforce, whether it be Marketer, or whether it be like an outreach.io. So, you know, we're not uh, today, you know, interested in, in competing with Salesforce. Now, that being said, there is an argument to be made that, you know, if you know who to sell or market into, you could technically, you know, sell out of a spreadsheet. But you know, I think there's definitely a lot of value in having a core system of record. We use Salesforce internally. And then also, you know, we, we do, we, we don't want to change too much behavior, right? So we, we integrate with Salesforce. We're partners with Salesforce and we want to be able to integrate right within your workflow. So you're able to get the value of Node um, without needing to change your behavior at all. 
Okay. So I got to ask you this because, you know, if you were around when Google was coming up, back then there was there was like Lycos and Dogpile and Yahoo Search, all these things that these companies tried to do, but they're just they just got blown out of the water by the technology of Google. Nobody even uses those anymore for search. I don't think so. But and so I look at this and there has been a lot of companies over the last few years that have tried to do this or at least try to do parts and they're kind of struggling or going by the wayside. Why do you think that you will be able to succeed where the like and not become the next like Lycos or Dogpile? So uh, so I just just to make sure I fully understand the question. So what was the reasoning around Lycos or Dogpile again? Sure. So, you know, other companies have tried to do search and, mm. and they, they had a search box, you know, that was offered to consumers and consumers would use it and it would kind of work and it wasn't that great. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then Google came along and you could actually find what you needed. So they just like yeah. blew those out and they're, they're all gone now. So in they used to call it predictive analytics applied to sales and marketing, you know, there, a lot of companies popped up over the last few years and, you know, the, there was mixed results from their yep. customers and there was a high churn rate. So, yeah. you know, why yeah. do you think that Node will become the Google instead of the Lycos? Yeah, yeah, got it. Yeah, I mean, you know, today, why our business, and part of, part of me answering this is first to just kind of outline like sort of the state of, of affairs thus far, like you're kind of alluding to with predictive, not working as well as people had hoped. So, I mean, part of the part of the question here is also, you know, why is it that businesses are still guessing at what their total addressable market is? You know, why, why is this something that we do not even understand today or have to, you know, pay the likes of McKinsey millions of dollars to get an answer to over a period of six months? And part of that is because t there's tons of point solutions in this market, right? We're, we're purchasing incomplete point solutions of data vendors that all have limited quality coverage and definitions themselves. We might use a predictive tool to rank those lists or rank those leads to prioritize them better. And then we use a number of different action systems to basically cast a wide net and hope the right buyers end up coming in and purchasing our products. And so what's, what this has resulted in is a funnel where 80% of those prospects are the wrong people at the wrong companies at the wrong time. We're approaching them with the wrong message. Um, and so we essentially aim to flip that. And so uh, part of the, the, the reason you know, why we believe we'll be a, a, a Google version of this space is because we fundamentally have focused on actually being a data company first. So we own three steps to an entire product value chain that's required for us to not only be able to be that single source of truth, but actually be able to be prescriptive in the types of recommendations we're making that don't solely you know, require a set of historical data that is, um, in a lot of cases, very flawed, or only looking at a limited sort of state of the world or um, kind of corpus from a data vendor perspective. And so that three steps of a product value chain, which is very technically challenging, which is part of the reason why we hire very, very smart ex-Google, Facebook, Microsoft data engineers and PhDs and spent two and a half years just building the underlying technology. You know, the first step in that product value chain is you have to actually own how you acquire that data. Um, and so we've spent a lot of time on this first step. That's where we leverage natural language processing, machine learning to basically, you know, extract 
the entities in unstructured web pages on the public web. We literally use the web as our database. This is very similar to Google's approach where they, you know, indexed all the all the web pages that exist on the web, understand the relationships between them and the keywords on them to then be able to, you know, when we type in Apple, we don't see pictures of apples. We actually see Apple computer. And so we've taken a very similar approach there and, and acceptive and, and instead of indexing web pages, we're indexing all the entities within those web pages. And so with this methodology, I've covered over half a billion profiles today. I have about 80% accuracy across the data points that we surface to our customers. Because at the end of the day, the math is only as good as the data, which is a really important piece and part of the reason why some of the predictive you know, players in the space have not been able to, to succeed as much. So that's sort of the first step. And while you know that's pretty technically challenging, it's not actually our core IP. Our core IP comes in the next two steps. And that next step is where we're essentially connecting the relationships between all the data points that we acquire, where we're basically building the node graph. And then the third piece is the models, where we essentially aim to build a model personalized to every individual, every person, as well as every company. So that allows us to and not only make recommendations to you uh, with just our understanding of who you are and what you care about or your business, but uh, also marry that information with your private data that can be found in your CRM or in your email and be able to you know, make even more targeted recommendations that actually drive ROI to the bottom line of our customers. And so to date, our recommendations have driven you know, over 100 million in revenue for our customers, over 330 million in increased pipeline, you know, 4.7 times higher deal sizes. And without actually changing any resources, just focusing on node recommended prospects versus what a company might source themselves, uh, actually 50% uplift in revenue. And so at the end of the day, ROI speaks for itself. And that's something that we didn't even want to enter the market until we actually had clear proof points that we were able to um, impact the bottom line of our customers and save sales reps a lot of time and help them make more money. It's interesting because it's almost like you don't want to be the first one to the market, you know, <laughs> and yeah. you can kind of learn from the things that others have tried and make something you know, it's almost like the next generation, but it's beyond that, really, because you wouldn't have to buy an external data vendor at this point, right? If would would an external, another external data vendor be necessary if you bought Node? Not necessarily, but look, it largely depends on the organization and who you're selling or marketing into, right? We are very we are limited by what data is publicly available. Now, there's a lot of information that's publicly available, so you know, for the most part, you know, we we work quite well. But you know, I would I would argue that that's very it, it's specific to each organization and and the types of data points that you need to be able to tackle your go to market. So, I mean, we do reduce the need and save our customers a lot of money from for about 10 different point solutions on the market. But I would argue that's just a byproduct of our solution, not our intention. Okay. So you may or may not need that, uh, you know, depending on your, your particular situation that you're in. Yeah. Got it. And what if, what if they haven't yet confirmed their product market fit? So there's a lot of companies that they'll think that they have a product market fit, I mean, based on what the founders have. And so they hire sales development reps to go out and start to set appointments for the salespeople, but they haven't really confirmed whether they have a product market fit yet. And so it becomes really difficult for the sales development reps to be able to even set up an appointment. Is that too early to be able to engage with Node or do you have to, like, Blue Jeans Network has a product market fit. I mean, they're, they're successful, right? I would, yeah, I mean, I, w I would argue that 
you know, no, I mean, really what would limit you from being able to engage with Node is your budget, but that's part of the benefit of our graph, right? We don't require looking at, you know, you could have zero customers and we could still provide you with intelligent recommendations based on, let's say, you know, the customers of your competitors that Node has an understanding of and attributes about them. Or for example, for us today, we, we sell to customers of Salesforce. So, you know, we actually have an understanding in our data layer of, uh, of some of Salesforce's customers, you know, attributes about them. And our customer base five to 10 years from now will look quite similar to that of Marketo and Salesforce. So we can actually start to test our assumptions just based on leveraging those other proxies um, more intelligently when actually, you know, going outbound and, and having sales development reps set up meetings. So. Yeah, there's a lot that you can learn similar to that sort of storyline that I gave around how uh, BlueJeans Network leveraged Node to inform their go-to-market. You know, there's a lot that you can do to test out product market fit assumptions, you know, with an intelligent data layer like Node. Should you, should you get Node installed before you hire your sales development team? Or do you need to have them up and running and and ready to use the product before you put it in, would you say? So it doesn't, I mean, with the BlueJeans Network example, they, we, actually, we actually spent, or they spent about a quarter planning and uh, developing their strategy before we rolled it out to the sales team. So, you know, Node isn't just for the sales rep, it's for the marketing team, it's for the sales team, it's for, you know, operations as well. And so it largely just depends on what stage you're at, the sort of timeline, your you know, fiscal year of your business. But Node's very helpful from a, from a planning perspective to start and can really be instrumental, therefore, in, in ensuring more seamless execution. Yeah. Yeah. Try Node instead of hiring McKenzie for sure. <laughs> <laughs> We're definitely cool. cheaper than McKenzie. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Um, so, okay. So, I'm running up against the hour, but I did want to ask you just to switch gears a little bit. If someone's out there and they've been working for a while, they have that entrepreneurial spirit like like you, you know, are there two or three things that you could tell them to consider or be prepared for as they potentially make a transition from being an employee to an entrepreneur that, you know, that you would recommend? Sure. I mean, my my top piece of feedback is if you look at my story, I never said I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I always loved helping teams and businesses be successful. Um, I loved operating. And I just happened to find a problem that I realized and identify that I, you know, with, with everything in me, I believe I'm the right person to solve. And the vehicle to do that was through starting a company, was through Node. And that passion for this problem is what you know keeps me going through the ups and downs that are inevitable in entrepreneurship. And I do not recommend you know people wanting to start a company to start a company. I think you really it's really about the problem and really about why you know we were talking about product market fit earlier. I think it's what's even more important is founder market fit. And that's really what you know if you're thinking like it would be cool to start a company, you know, but you haven't worked at a startup yet, go early stage. See how hard it is get in the trenches, help a company be successful in those early stages, you know, and, and from there really get information to understand whether a, it's even something that, that you want to do, but B, you know, really figure out what is that problem that you think you are the right person to solve that no one else is solving. And if you find that, then the vehicle to do that absolutely could be a company. 
So that's like one of my key points of advice. Going back to the sort of experience angle, a lot of people work at really big companies and then think they want to do a startup because it's popular or whatever in the media, you know, really does not talk about the negative sides of it, but it is definitely not for the faint of heart. So, you know, you think you're comfortable with risk until you actually go in the trenches and see what it's like to work in, a, in an early stage company, go do that. When I left Google after six years, I actually joined an early stage startup. I was recruited by Google Ventures to join Firespotter Labs, which was a product accelerator at the time. And I was the first non-engineer. I was employee number seven. My job was to do everything but coding for the six products that we had had at the time. I learned more in the first three months that I worked at that startup than I did the last four years. Because, I, you know, whereas before at Google, I was going, you know, to the product team, to the marketing team, to the sales team. I was all of those teams in one. And so you can't pay for that sort of experience, but you also really understand what it takes to build, you know, a company. And it's certainly not easy. And there's so many challenges. And, you know, from there, I went on to consulting and, and working with a lot of different startups. And I highly recommend doing that to get more information as to whether it's for you, but to also work at companies and sort of see different stages of success look like. If you worked out of Microsoft for, you know, a couple of years, that's a great foundation but, you know, to go from Microsoft to an early stage company, it is a completely different world. And so you're definitely going to want to to really test the waters before you double down on, on a decision like that and make sure it's it's something that you see what lo- what success looks like, what failure looks like and what entrepreneurship truly means before you you walk into that. Because, you know, it's 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 incredibly rewarding, but it's incredibly high risk and you're going to you know sacrifice a lot of time, money, friendships, you know, in some ways I like to say last three years, you know, I, before we emerged more publicly, I, I, uh, you know, I, I feel like I even sacrificed parts of, you know, being a human, um, just to make this company successful. So those are sort of my two biggest pieces of advice. And then the last thing I'll say is it's all about the power of your network, mentors and advisors and surrounding yourself with people that not only can put a mirror up to you and help you understand where your strengths and weaknesses are, but ultimately are really going to be able to support and advise you through the growth path that you want to have as an individual, as a leader, and for your business. Okay. Wow. I I wish we had more time because I I want to ask you, let me just ask you one clarification about the founder market fit. Can you tell us more about that? Sure. If I wanted to start a window cleaning business, and I know nothing about window cleaning, but I think it's a cool business. And I think there is a market opportunity there. That, given my experiences, given my interests, given my real understanding of the market, that is not a good founder market fit example. Got it. That's not something that, you know, let's say when push comes to shove, if I had an offer on the table for someone to buy it or, or you know, if it just got really hard that my passion would, would you know, carry me through. That's also not a problem that I have that really is an intersection of my interests or my passions or, or frankly, my experience. And that's, that's also just, you know, not necessarily very clear in terms of what problem I'm solving that someone else couldn't solve and, you know, whether there's even a viable market there. So, I mean, it's a, it's a trivial example, but it's a really important one because I meet with entrepreneurs all the time that think that they want to, you know, or even candidates that think that they want to work in an early stage startup, but really have no idea what they're getting into. And and I think it's it's very, very important that you do those things thoughtfully and really ask yourself those questions. You know, is this a problem that I am passionate about, that I am one of the few people in this world that can solve? 
and what is it about my ability to solve this that is going to, you know, basically allow me to be more successful? And then, you know, really making sure that there's a clear intersection between your interests, your passions, your experience and that problem. And then, you know, you should be able to really make it through anything from there. Yeah, no, I, I love that. It's it's almost like the it's like a Venn diagram of, you know, your abilities and your skills and your passion, the problem, and then the size of the market. So like, for example, you know, Google solves a problem for billions and billions of people. The, their market is so huge that they can make a ton of money. And so, you know, everything comes together. But if there's not only, you know, five people have your problem, then you can be super passionate about it and, <laughs> and, and become an expert, but you're not gonna be able to pay the bills. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good. Very good. And thank you. Thank you so much for diving into that. Fallon, I just got you for another couple of minutes. What are you excited about right now? What are you working on? And, you know, how can people get more involved in Node if they want to learn more about you and what you're working on? So if you want to learn more about Node, you can come to our site, node.io. And, uh, you know, if you're interested in checking out our product, you can request a demo. If you're interested in perhaps joining our company uh, and on this adventure that we're on, you can definitely check out our careers page. Uh, and, or you can just read my blog on Forbes at uh, Forbes.com slash Fallon So, I mean, in terms of what was the original question you said was, what am I really yeah. excited about right now? Yeah. What are you working on now? What am I working on now? I'm working on really, you know, expanding Node, you know, beyond just the power of, you know, obviously scaling the value that we provide for sales and marketing, but actually starting to expand outside of that initial use case that we started on to start to empower each one of us to leverage Node to, to identify opportunities that ultimately, you know, do, do change our lives and help us live our best life. So I'm really excited about a lot of the, the projects that we're working on that we're not ready to announce yet but are coming, you know, in the beginning of next year. And, you know, really excited to just continue to connect people with opportunity at massive scale and really be, stay true to that vision and take even, you know, 1% of the value that we've created in sales marketing and start to apply that for everyone. Right. Okay. So you established a beachhead in sales and marketing and now, you know, it's applying that to a larger audience. That is really exciting. I'm, you know, looking forward to hearing more about the developments uh, as soon as you're ready to share them. So absolutely. <laughs> well, good. Well, thanks a, a lot. I'll let you get back to the Dreamforce uh, festivities. And we really appreciate you coming on the show and, and sharing your knowledge with the audience. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum 100% focused and dedicated to sales development with your host, David Delaney. Please be sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube and take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. Your support makes our show possible. If you are struggling with your sales development program, contact us at 10bound.com for a no-obligation exploratory call. Again, that's 10bound.com.